So anyway, long story short, that's when Steven figured out it was actually a dude. Welcome to the Guys Review, where we review media, products, and experiences. I was hoping if we were doing this virtually, maybe you, you couldn't fuck this up, but apparently you can still fuck this up. <laughs> I mean, with you, with, with you bunch of idiots, who knows? I know, that's right. My name is Steven. I'm one of your three co-hosts tonight. Together we have Tucker and Daniel. Say hello, fellas. Cheers. What's happening? Mm-hmm. There is music. Not really good for fading out. Anyways, um, so Chris and Trey, I guess, are not able to join us today, unfortunately. It's a little bit later than we normally record, which is completely my fault. I had a cookout I had to go to, so sorry about that. But uh, today we're going to review the, uh, the second Nirvana album, Nevermind. So, uh, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about our weeks. Uh, Daniel, thanks for coming back. How was your week? Um, yeah, it's been pretty good. A little busy with some work and, um, my dog had surgery actually a couple weeks ago and she's been a pain in the ass because of that. But, uh, what did, what did she have done? Um, so she had a one, she had a tooth removed and then she had some fatty lumps on her and she had this really big one, like right at her armpit that I wanted to remove. Cause it was, it was consistently growing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't cancerous like, or anything like that. I've already gotten, had them t- tested before, but it was just at a point where I'm like, it's under her arm it's going to start impeding her like walking and whatnot. So I was like, I just got to get it removed. And I went in to get it removed, had to get the surgery specialist at the the vet I go to. And as they were going to start taking that one out, a small one popped out from underneath of that one. Jesus. So they're like, okay. So they took that one, they took out the big one. And then another one popped up out from underneath the big one when they took it out. So they ended up taking them all out. And then that first week, she actually licked her stitches out. Like she got away from me for like five minutes without her cone on. And then I heard lick, lick, lick. Had her, she ran over to me after I called her and half her fucking stitches out. So I'm like $600 at the emergency vet to have them sedate her and put her stitches back in. So nice. now she lives with her cone of shame. And uh, <laughs> she has, uh, she's also, because it's on her front leg, she started scratching at it with her back leg. So she also wears a t shirt now so that she doesn't scratch at it as well. But, She's supposed to get the stitches out and everything this coming Friday. So nice. Hopefully uh, I won't deal with that anymore. And I won't have to like hold her food food bowl for her and stuff. <laughs> so, but other than that, been good. A little crazy with some work stuff, uh, yep, you know, yep. getting some, some technology deployed and just sitting. So I have here. a question for you, Daniel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why do you have, why do you have Tiger King as your, as your background? I mean, why not? Cause I'm Florida man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> If, a, if you if you if you haven't already realized this, where the Big Cat Sanctuary is is in Tampa. It's wait, literally like 30, 45 minutes away from where I live. Wait, wait, are you talking about the? No, the, I didn't know that. Are you yeah, talking about the that, actual that bitch Carol Baskin? Yeah, like that whole thing is literally like in the center of like just north of Tampa. Because he was in Oklahoma, right? No, well, well, he was at one point, but he was in. They were all in Florida. That thing that happened in that whole thing. Yeah, that's in that dude. Come on, it's the most Florida fucking thing ever. I mean, How could fair. it not be in Florida? Yeah, the gay but tiger yeah. wrangler. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. So you know, I'm Florida man. So I'll, that's I'll uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, uh, look, Tucker's gone to his home to San Francisco. No, oh. you can kiss my incredibly white ass there, sir. No thanks. I'm good. I'm sure if you're in San Francisco, someone's kissing it. Um, you could probably find someone to do it for free. Yeah. Definitely pay someone to do it. All right, Tucker, how was your week? Uh, it was good. We had grand jury this week, and it's been busy as shit, but then we went to the lake, and uh, I had, I don't know, nine beers. 
It sounds like you were in it to win it. Oh, yeah. Did you fall out of the boat this time? I did not fall out of the boat this time. That's impressive. Did you let Courtney drive home? No. No, uh, that's dumb. All right. Anything else to add? <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. Yeah, so, crack is whack. Yeah, crack is whack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll say yes. Uh, Joe Exotic was in Oklahoma. Carol Baskins, the Big Cat Rescue, is in yeah, Tampa. That bitch. <laughs> fucking Carol Baskins. Fucking Carol Baskins. Never did watch that, by the way. Are you serious? I, re- I refuse to watch it no. simply because of how much hype it got. I'm, I'm actually siding with Daniel on this one. I flat fucking refuse to watch that show. No, dude, it is. Y'all got to watch it. It is such a train wreck. It is so much fun. Like, yeah, I, I shit you not. Dude, I'm in law enforcement. I can watch a train wreck any day of the week. And I was going to say, I you know, live, if I really want to watch a fucking train wreck, if I want to watch a, a, a train wreck, I'll have Tucker make a documentary. It's fair. All right. Well, my week I can, was. I can uh, show you body cam footage. I mean, that's basically your documentary right there. <laughs> I mean, probably some censorship in it too. You know, got to re- got to redact a few things. Maybe one or two things. All right. Well, my week was uh, was pretty good. Um, just real busy. You know, getting into the, the workflow. I, I actually submitted t- three proposals this week, and two of them were like hundred and seventy thousand dollars each to repay parking lots. So it's like this is a big, big fucking deal up here. Um, it was really cool though. It felt really good. Um, but yeah, everything was really what good. I know, oh, right? Uh, it was a good weekend. We, uh, I want to go to a football game, man. Like I, I went Friday night. I, I left our house to run to the gas station. I needed, to, I ran out of vapes, so I went to get some vapes. And uh, dude, the line to get to the football stadium was like three miles either way. And it was a really good game. Is this a high school game. A high school game. Yeah, fuck that. Dude, I want to go. It sounds like fun. I, I watched most of it. Uh, I found a place you could stream it, and I watched it. It was a good game, and luckily my my local, you know, t- there's literally a there's a high school that's, like, right across the street from me, and uh, the that, the high school team won, so good for them. So, um, Are you allowed Are you allowed to live that close to a high school? Yeah, no, it's Trey you got to worry about. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It happens. That, make, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was fun. We had a little. There was like a a, a neighborhood cookout this afternoon that we went to. That was fun. Met some new people. Kind of hung out for a little while and back a little late. So sorry about that, guys. But I appreciate y'all hopping on and reviewing the movie with us. So um, yeah, it's, we're not doing a movie. Or yeah, album. Sorry. Jesus uh, Christ. Now, unfortunately, I don't have my. I can't get my soundboard to to play through Zoom. But I, I so I can't play. Uh, you know the fan mail thing. But we do have a fan mail uh, for Marcus. So I'll go ahead and read that. Okay. All right, this is from Marcus. His title is Read the Room, Trey, which is kind of uh, kind of sad that he's not here. Here's a tip for y'all. Don't work and be hungover. Get some sleep between drinking and working. Ha ha. He apparently went out Friday night with one of his buddies and was like out all night and didn't sleep Friday night and went to work Saturday morning. That's a boss move right there. Is it? I mean... It just sounds like remember. he has a weak liver. You got, you got to remember now, Stephen, you're going to be 40 in like six days. So... You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> all right I still, got a, I still got a year and a half bitch yeah all right would you rather and he's still older than me so uh, <laughs> would you rather talk like yoda or breathe like darth vader for the rest of your life breathe like darth vader I, I'm, I'm gonna go with yoda because he's at least got some wisdom in it it's fair i already um, breathe like darth vader going upstairs anyway so yeah i mean every man that has a cpap machine talks like darth vader at least in their sleep <laughs> it's true so. true story yeah that's fair uh, I, I, Daniel, I like your reasoning. I'm going to go Yoda as well. 
would you rather would you rather have to always use every exit on the freeway for two years and if you miss one your seat will electrocute you or your brakes will completely fail r- randomly once in the coming year wait wait wait, wait. um that's a that's... when you say when you say electrocute are we talking like a lethal shock or just like a mild the suck shock uh probably just a mild this suck shot i i'm thinking that tucker's gonna like the shocking and the asshole is what i mean probably hearing. hold on y'all talk about this hold on one second my daughter is here real fast Give <laughs> one um you know I, I don't know about you know thinking about where where y'all are living and especially you tucker and with your job like freeway highway i'm saying the same thing yeah interstate that's well, that's major, gonna be major, rough. yeah that's gonna be rough for you like here, here, like down here, I can literally avoid all major interstates and everything like that and get anywhere I need to go. Like, so even driving across the state, no problem. So here's the thing. Okay. I have been in a vehicle where the brakes failed and that fucking sucks. That is terrifying. I don't ever want to do that again. I will go with the electrocution, missing the exit and getting shocked. I, I, I'm I'm honestly leaning that way simply because of thinking of like with my screwed up luck in a way, it wouldn't be when I'm in my truck where like I'm likely to survive even if they failed. I'm gonna end up being on my fucking motorcycle and I don't want my brakes failing on the motorcycle. Yeah. I'm no. I'm, I'm so, with y'all. The freeway. Um, the freeway exit <laughs> thing would suck, but I mean at least you get there safely eventually. Yeah. You will survive. Yeah, and I, I think for me that's the thing is like I can very easily avoid freeways in general. Yeah. Down here. So yeah. like I have no problem because the times I actually have to get on the freeway take a little butt shock. See, my thing is here in Asheville. Isn't, really isn't that what you call a Friday night, Daniel? Take a little shock in the butt. Not anymore, Tucker. I, I gave that up with oh, the, no, uh, no, the no. Latin. That's a that's a shot in the ass. Shot, not shock yeah. in the butt. Um <laughs> the thing about Asheville is like literally to get anywhere generally you have to jump on an interstate which is kind of a pain in the ass but you know it's just the fastest way to get around instead of having to wind through all these mountain roads you know so i i, I guess i would have to ask is like with that does state roads count yeah i would say that anything that's a major four-lane road with controlled access is what marcus is talking about four lanes well, are I'm, I'm thinking down florida i'm thinking like 75 95 i-10 um, you know, like a 275, like things like that is what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. But like we have like State Road 60 that drives all the way across the state. It's literally it could be like a two lane road at some points. Yeah. Um, it's like you driving through like there's no gas stations on it really or anything. So um, that's so, easy enough to go across the state kind of thing. So there's this, this Facebook group that I'm in and uh, through it, we met these people there in there in Ireland and Sunday when we were driving back, they called us. They FaceTimed us while we were driving. So I, of course, answered the phone. We chatted with them for, God, like an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. And uh, But it was as we were coming into Atlanta. So I turned the camera around. And I was like, you know, showing them the road. And they were freaking out because apparently in Ireland, they don't have any roads over two lanes, like two lanes on each side. Like oh, that's wow. like that's a major interstate for them. Well, Jesus. I guess they don't really have interstates up there because it's an island. But uh so when we got to you know downtown Atlanta where it's like eight wide, they were like, "Oh my god, it's so fucking huge!" It was kind of funny. Okay, That's here we go. She said. I know, right? Would you rather eat a stranger's a stranger's toenail clippings once a week or have everything smell like rotten eggs? Going rotten eggs. Oh, yeah, you can get used to that smell. 
it sucks, but you're no, you'll eventually filter it out. Yeah, you'll go nose blind eventually. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with the eggs as much as I hate that, and but I ain't eating those damn toenails. Yeah, it's pretty gross. All right. I, the fact that he had to put it, it's a stranger's. It's like not even your own. Like, yeah. I want to eat my own fucking toenails. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to eat toenails, period. That sounds like a great way to get appendicitis. That sounds like a great way to get hepatitis. <laughs> you can ask Tommy Lee. I know, right? Okay. Would you rather have 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife or always have a knife but never be able to use spoons? I'll go with the all the spoons because I can sharpen one of them motherfuckers. Exactly. You can take two spoons and just rip something apart. I'm going to take yeah, one I'm of them gonna, and make a spork out of it also. So I'm going to go. I'm going to, I'm, I'm with y'all, but I will say that when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. It's fair. Okay. Two more, three more. Would you rather be forced to listen to the same 10 songs on repeat for the rest of your life or be forced to watch the same five movies on repeat for the rest of your life? Same five movies. Do I wait? Do I get to pick the movies? Because yeah, so I think that's the key. Movies. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that, and I, I'm kind of I, I'm kind of with you on that as well. Yeah, because I mean, like when you say the fa- same five movies, I mean, what if I could make one like a, a series at least? You know? Yeah. I mean, I pretty much only watch like five TV shows as it is. Yeah, I mean the same. Like as long as like Trey isn't picking my five movies, I think I'll be okay. No, you need to worry about Chris <laughs> no. picking your movies. I don't know. After after the tennis coach one, I don't know if I trust yeah. that choice. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. He admitted that that was a guilty pleasure of his. Okay. Yeah. I. I yeah. Okay. <laughs> Two more. Live stream your entire life like the Truman Show, or always speak your thoughts out loud. I already I mean, do I, that anyway, so I'll do the live stream. I always wanted to be a porn star, but. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd probably it's, live stream. It's, 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 it's sad when it's only solo acts. <laughs> I know, right? That's, um. that's, yeah, I would do the live stream also, only because I, I know that no one would watch. It'd be so boring. Oh yeah. And the people that are going to watch me are going to be very, very. Jesus Christ, he's taking a shit again. How many times a day does this guy shit? <laughs> that would be I, Trey for sure. I feel like three uh, times a day. Uh, what are you talking about? I need to get his. Uh, his I mean, they say check. a health. They say a healthy person shits twice, twice a day minimum. Yeah. All it's right. Twice. Last, last one. Be able to be unable to brush your teeth or to use toilet paper ever again. I'll go without toilet paper because I'll just get a day. I guess that's fair. That's those are both disgusting. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna be completely honest. I have bidets on my toilets, and they're fucking amazing. So really, yep. Do you have to like, but isn't your ass wet after it sprays your ass? Do you have to like get a towel? Yeah, I mean, just you just gotta dry it dry it off. You just have a, a towel to wipe, you know, to dry your butt off afterwards if you can't use toilet paper. So I mean, are you, are, are you these like freaks that you don't wash your asshole and then dry it off after a shower? I mean, I do wash my asshole, but, and I do dry it because it's been washed, but. Do you wait? Do you wipe your ass and then use the bidet, or you just let it no, power no. rinse everything? Dude, why? Why are you even asking this? Let's just. I'm <laughs> curious. No, no, no. So you use use the bidet and then use a little bit of toilet paper to dry yourself off with afterwards. So you just power wash everything off. Okay. Yeah, basically. All right, I'll I'll allow it. Okay. Didn't want to know. Yeah. Florida man. Really didn't want to fucking know. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to email us anything and I can read it poorly, you can do so at theguysreviewpod at gmail.com. Or if you want to make fun of us in real time, you can join our Twitter DM group, which is, to do that, you have to go to our Twitter page, which is at the underscore guys review, and then like the tweet, the pin tweet at the top of the page. They're in the group. You can make fun of us in real time. But mostly it's just a bunch of memes going back and forth and, and Jeff and Marcus arguing about socialism. Always fun, right? I don't think they're really arguing. I think they're both saying that socialism sucks and that America's the greatest. Yeah, you know, with our bald eagles, with our bald eagles and freedom units. 
<laughs> freedom units. Um, all right, here we go. Y'all ready to get into the? Uh... Oh, hello. Oh, there it goes. Okay, y'all ready to get into the to the album? Yes. All right, Nirvana. Back. Never mind. It was produced by Butch Vig, V-I-G. It, Nirvana consists of Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, Dave Grohl, and it was released on September twenty fourth, nineteen ninety one. It was made on a budget of sixty five thousand dollars, which is one hundred forty one thousand dollars in today's money. Rating RYM, I don't know what this is, has it at a 3.95 out of 5. On Spotify, Nirvana has around 24 million listeners a month. On YouTube, Nevermind has an, the Nevermind album has 4.9 million views. I think Smells Like Teen Spirit has over a billion views. Um, Google users, you want to guess what percentage of Google users? Tucker? This is a loved album, and it's, I mean, it's certified diamond. It's, it's, regularly featured in lists of top 100 or top albums of all times. I'm going really high. I'm going 90. I, I'm, I'm thinking more like 82. 96. That's got to be one of the highest percentages I think we've seen on any sort of media that we review. you know? The, the wizard was higher. No, it wasn't, was it? Hold on. It definitely was, was not. not. <laughs> no. Oh, shit. Hold on a second. I'm, saying, I'm saying the wizard was higher. It definitely was not. I was about to read it, but I got logged out. Hold on. <laughs> to log back in. Man. I'm looking it up. Uh. <clears throat> Google uses... Yeah, Google, s- Google says it's higher. 76% is not higher than 90-whatever I said. 96. <laughs> All right, Nevermind is the second studio album by the American guns, grunge band Nirvana, released on in 91 by DGC Records. It was Nirvana's first release on a major label and the first to feature drummer Dave Grohl. You know, can you imagine like what would have happened if Kurt hadn't killed himself? Do you think he still would have made Foo Fighters? Um, okay, first of all, Kurt didn't kill himself. Courtney Love did. <laughs> you know, it's one of those interesting questions because you see so many artists that do split off and do other bands and stuff like that. Like, you know, Corey Taylor from Slipknot yeah. also does Stone Sour. And yeah. so, so you got so many of them that do that. And you kind of think that which I like Stone Probably Sour better would. than Slipknot, personally. Well, yeah, I mean, because it's it's not, you know, Slipknot is very heavy, very hard. You know, they're they're pretty aggressive in that sense. I like some of their songs, but not all of them. I've seen Stone Sour twice in, in concert. So, oh, nice. Okay. Like, you know, but I, I, I don't know if he would have right away or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It probably would have been more of a talking point. But so uh, I, I could see them all doing something else in a way. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. Because looking back in Nirvana's history, they had a, uh, I guess we'll say a habit of going through drummers. Now, Dave Grohl lasted the longest. He lasted for two albums. Um, but I think eventually, I think Foo Fighters would have been formed. Well, and I, so, I read recently, he said that he'd written the first Foo Fighters album while he was still in Nirvana, but was actually afraid to ask or mention it to Kurt Cobain because he, he was basically intimidated by it. Kurt was a dick. No, because he was intimidated about how good of a writer Kurt was. Yeah, I mean, he was. Yeah, he's brilliant, but he's probably I mean, also a dick. So you think about that, though. What he's saying there is, he may have written that first album. He may have eventually worked up that thing, and you may not have seen the Foo Fighters album as a Foo Fighters album. You may have seen some of those songs as Nirvana songs come out in other albums. Would I would say, ar- I would say, arguably, that Dave Grohl's a better writer than Kurt Cobain was. 
Well, I, I agree with you, but I also, I mean, Dave Grohl is now, you know, double the age was Kurt was when he died and he's had a lot more practice at it. I think if Kurt would have stayed around, yeah. he probably would have gotten better. So, so Kurt Cobain died in 94 and that's right. also when Foo Fighters was formed. Yeah. So I think right. I would say that the only reason Foo Fighters, I would make an argument in a way, the only reason Foo Fighters was formed is because Kurt Cobain died. It's fair. So if, as long as, you know, Nirvana didn't kick out, kick him out as a drummer, he probably would have continued on with Nirvana. Yeah. He probably wouldn't have had Foo Fighters, um, at least not when they formed and when they went forward. You probably would have had them either much later on or, yeah. you know, something else. That's fair. Unless- That's fair. All right. Uh, produced by Butch Vig. Uh, by the way, I meant to say this earlier. Marcus did the research on this, so I want to give him credit for, for the research that I'm reading. Uh, produced by Butch Vig. Nevermind features a more polished, radio-friendly sound than the band's prior work. Recording took place at Sound City Studio in Van Nuys, California, and Smart Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, in May and June of 91, with mastering being completed in August of that year. Well, that's uh, where, I think Madison's where uh, Butch Vig was from, right? Uh, I think so, probably. Written primarily by frontman Kurt Cobain, the album is noted for channeling the rage and emotions, channeling range a range of emotions being noted as dark, humorous, and disturbing. Thematically, it includes anti-establishment views, anti-sexism, frustration, alienation, and troubled love inspired by Cobain's broken relationship with the Bikini Kills' Toby Vale. Contrary to the par- popular hedonistic ty- themes of drugs and sex at the time, writers have observed that Nevermind reinvigorated sensitivity to mainstream rock. According to Cobain, the sound of the album was influenced by bands such as the Pixies, R.E.M., Smithereens, and the Melvins. While the album is considered a cornerstone to grunge to the grunge genre, it is noted for its musically musical diversity, which includes acoustic ballads, Polly and Something in the Way, and punk-inspired hard rock terrestrial pissings and Stay Away. Um, let's see. Here cometh thy shiny award, sire, my Lord Tucker, the wanker, second Earl of Wessex, Lord of the Furries, heir of Lord Baldy, and the one-eyed snake wrestler, protector of freedom units, step-sibling with funny feelings downstairs, entertainer of uncles, jailer of innocent, spanker of innocent milkmaids and stable boys. (laughs) This thing is going to get so long. (laughs) What she said. Uh, All right. Nirvana has... Yeah, but but never to Stephen. Yeah. Nirvana has one win. Uh, Ashley does. I mean, she's got small hands. She's tiny. Nirvana has one win and six nominations. Nominations are for Best Alternative Music Album for for the album, never mind. And it won Best Alternative Rock Music Performance uh, for the MTV Unplugged album in New York, which was incredible. All right. So starting off, track number one, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Are you supposed oh, to be playing music? He, right he's, now? Just, he's just jamming out on his Sorry. own. All right. Hold on. Right. Yeah, my bad. Hold on. Man, that would have been so good if that had worked, too, because it just went like straight into it. All right. Track number one. Let me know if you can hear this. All right, so written by Kurt. Wait, hold on, hold on. One second, real fast. Let me read this. Written by Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, and Dave Grohl. It's five five minutes and one seconds long. Released September tenth, ninety one, as the lead single for the album. 
You know, I didn't realize that will also help write this one. So it makes me think to back to our other questions. He probably, as he wrote more and more with Kurt Cobain, he probably would have been able to introduce some of those other songs he did. So as uh, of the 12 songs on the album, this is only one of two that has other writing credits besides Kurt Cobain. Okay. Now, I may be wrong, but I think at one point, didn't Dave Grohl, hey, kill that music. Hold on. Didn't uh, didn't Dave Grohl come out and basically say that Cobain or that Cobain stole some of his writing credits at, at some point? Oh, I don't know. I, possibly, I, I don't remember reading that. I want to. I want to say I remember reading that somewhere, and I may be wrong. I may be thinking of a different band, but um, you know, I think anybody that that, that knows, it's not even really familiar with Nirvana. Everybody knows "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Oh yeah, it's it is the quintessential alt rock anthem of the of the early 90s uh mtv mtv played that i mean i remember seeing that on mtv when i was growing up back when they played music and uh, yeah, back when they played music i know in mtv europe it has been certified as the most played video of all time on mtv europe i i feel like growing up anywhere from when this came out probably through your early 2000s time this well, was I mean, like a high school senior song yeah, well, and, 100%. And I think, think it was actually my class song as well. Like, just and just think about it. Think about how many times we went out in bars in Auburn in the mid two thousands, and a cover band would play this song. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is one of the first songs I ever learned how to play on on guitar, and I learned it like what was it? Uh, tab. I had a guy I had to mm-hmm. write out the tab for me. Hmm. I think everybody that plays guitar knows how to play this in Sweet Home Alabama, and maybe. Um, uh, Green Day's Good Riddance, yep. or at least the intro to it. So Cobain said that it was an attempt to write a song in the style of the Pixies, a band that he admired, quoting, uh, quote, I was trying to write the ultimate pop song. I was basically trying to rip off the Pixies. I have to admit it. When I heard the Pixies for the first time, I connected with that band so heavily that I should have been in that band, or at least the Pixies cover band. We used their sense of dynamics being soft and quiet, then loud and hard. Uh, here's a, this is kind of funny. I thought this was funny. That's why I added this. When Cobain presented the song to his bandmates, it comprised just the main guitar riff and the and the uh, chorus vocal melody. Cobain's Cobain said the riff was cliched, similar to a riff by Boston or Richard Berry song "Louie Louie." Bassist uh, Chris Novoselic uh, dismissed it as ridiculous. In response, Pan- Cobain made the band play it for an hour and a half. Eventually, Novoselic began playing it more slowly, inspiring uh, Grohl to create the drum beat, which drew from disco artists like the Gap Band. As a result, it is the only song on Nevermind to credit all three band members as writers. Hmm. Pretty interesting, interesting. Right? My hmm. my thoughts on it are one number one. It's got it's got one of the catchiest intro hooks of all time. You hear those first couple of, you know, ding 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 like you know it's about to fucking take off. You know. Oh yeah. But it's if you yeah, listen, but. If you listen to the lyrics, though, it's very nonsensical, and it's it's very full of contradictions. And uh, but it definitely gives you that feeling of like just angst and rage, you know. It it does, but it's also to me this is not your typical Nirvana song. This is kind so? of an out. This is kind of an outlier for them. Well, you look at just on this album. Um, let me pull up the track listing again because I just had it and I lost it. <clears throat> They are very, they're a very angsty band, but I mean, you look at In Bloom, Come As You Are, Lithium, Poly, mm. 
Dude, that's I, more that's more of a staple like what you think of when you when you listen to Nirvana. I'm I'm anxious to get to Paula because I know Chris was like giving us some he was texting us last night some shit about about that song, but do you know yeah. what that song's about? I read it earlier and I can't remember. It's dark as shit. So we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So it's it's curious. I'm I'm looking at Spotify. I'm looking at the album on Spotify. Um there is uh, 1,378,656,283 plays. Wow. For of, just for the whole album no, or just just so- smells like teen spirit. Yeah, I'd believe it. Is just that one. It's by far the most and um come as you are is actually the second highest with 830 million. That's I I can get that. I mean come as you are is really yeah. I understand why they released that one as a as a single as well. All right. Track number 2 in bloom. Uh, hold on a sec. Lost my. There we go. Written by Kurt Cobain, four minutes and fourteen seconds. Released November thirtieth, nineteen ninety-two. In Bloom was released as the album's fourth and final single in November of nineteen ninety-two. Here we go. I love this video. Bit. Is it really loud on your end? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's weird. Where, where you got it right now is like a good background yeah, noise. Okay. Let's see. So, good. No, no, I was going to say, you know, just writing the second one, like, Tucker and I talked before and I said I wasn't sure about it because it felt like so many of the songs flowed together. Mm-hmm. But I had to come back and re-listen to it to really appreciate each individual song because I was listening to it like while I was driving to and from work kind of thing. Right. And I feel like that is because you're not focused on the actual music. It really does that. So just putting that out there too. No, I agree. Like when I was, when I was writing my thoughts down, I, I didn't get to listen to it until today. Um, but when I was, it's like later on into the album, I was like, man, a lot of these, they sound obviously musically, they're going to sound similar, you know? I mean, there are some variations, but th- yeah, they're thematically and musically, they all sound very similar to each other. You can really say that with the majority of artists and albums as well, yeah. though. Well, and you know, it's interesting because when we did um, the Weezer album, what we found in that album was a little bit of a, a, a bit of a story. Like there was like a, yep. a narrative in that album, which I was kind of wondering if that would be the same here, but it doesn't doesn't really seem to be because their songs are not his yeah. style is not you know a narrative style. I feel like that's really rare that you have artists that openly have a like narrative within their album. Yeah. I mean, there's, you might have a few songs that kind of link together, but to have an entire album do it, um, I could definitely see Weezer or especially I think, early, early Weezer doing it. I think lyrically, you know, Nirvana's music's just so esoteric that, that he, Kurt Cobain even Jesus. said at one point that I didn't realize that, they were uh, recording with the queen of friggins England. Right. Uh, Kurt Cobain said at one point that he loved seeing how all these uh, media outlets and stuff were trying to decipher the meaning of his songs when they couldn't even get all the fucking lyrics right in yeah. the first place to try, yeah. to try to figure it out. So I, I think that it would be hard to tell a narrative, like a kind of a narrative story in, with, the, with the way that he writes. Yeah. I, well, 
I feel like Kurt Cobain would do it in a way that he would like subtly introduce like one or two lines in this song and then one or two lines in this song. So it wouldn't even be like each individual song was a narrative. Like it would just be like, you'd have to like decipher the whole thing. Hey, you know what that's called though, buddy? Heroin. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, it fits then. (laughs) So according to the 93 Nirvana biography, Come As You Are by Michael Arizad, in Bloom was originally written about, quote-unquote, the jocks and shallow mainstream types of the underground music scene that the band began to find in their audience after the release of their um, uh, debut album, Bleach. In his biography of Cobain, Heavier Than Heaven, Charles R. Ross asserted that the song was a thinly disguised portrait of Cobain's friend Dylan Carlson. So what? here's my thing, though. One of the notes that I wrote for myself, if you listen, go back and listen to this song again, listen, listen to the lyrics or go and read the lyrics while the song is playing. It's literally like him. It's it's making fun of the listener to the casual, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm going to start listening to them because they're popular listener, mm-hmm. which is kind of an ironic thing. I mean, you're you're making fun of the people buying your CD, but that's, I mean, that's what it is. Well, I mean, it, toward towards towards the end of his life and career, I, I think Kurt Cobain even had a fair amount of disdain for a lot of his listeners. I think he had disdain for the, for the fame and, and everyone wanting a piece of him. I mean, yeah. But I, I will say, at least for this one specifically, I like I love the music video for this one. I love the, the visual visualization that they did of the like clean cut fifties, you know, style band. And then they juxtapose that with them wearing dresses and just like fucking tearing everything up. And I, I'm just it, it's funny for me to imagine them having to play this like you know, hard rock song basically and having to, but you know, like 50 style with their little head bobs and like Dave Grohl in the background looks so silly. Like he does in all of his Foo Fighters videos, you know, I, when you say that you love this video at first, I thought it was because the very beginning where you hit pause, it kind of looked like a rally going on in the background. But I didn't know if it just brought back memories. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. And moving on. I'll get you another uh, beer with that one. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Track number three. Come As You Are, written by Kurt Cobain. Three minutes and 38 seconds, released on March 2nd, 1992, as the second single from Nevermind. I, this is a great song, man. Like, it's a nice change. It's not, I mean, it gets heavy, but like, again, that intro hook that just starts, I mean, you hear that and you just, the energy in it is just such a, it's such a banger. I, I feel like a lot of their songs have that now. Like, after, especially after I went and re listened to them, like where I was actually paying attention to it. Yeah. It's like, there's so many of their songs. You, as soon as it starts, you're like, I know this song. Like, this is it. Like, oh, yeah, I'm ready for this one now. Right. Like there's so many of them that do that. That's that, uh, one oh. of the notes I wrote is it's a great. All the intros are very catchy and just pull you into the rest of the song. Yep. And you know if you if you've listened to Nirvana's first album Bleach, which I've listened to, to all the all three of their albums, um, you do see a marked difference in 
the style of writing, the way that's laid out musically from mm -hmm. Bleach to Nevermind. Um, I read somewhere online today, and it's, I, I agree, this the Nirvana album as a whole was Kurt Cobain's magnum opus. I, I mean, this it. was like this was like the top of the ladder for him, and he was never going to improve on that. Yeah, I don't think he really can, honestly, this whole album. Um, I, the music video is very interesting to me because I, obviously you can see it. There's a lot of running water, and there's a lot of they have a lot of sperm. And I don't know, I mean, like, I don't know if the, who directed this or why they chose those elements, but water, and then they'll cut into, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, like, microscope view of, of sperm swimming around. I mean, I guess come as you are, or come where you can. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe it's was... one of those things of come as you are, you are who you are when you're born, like, you know. I mean, that's kind of my motto in, of in college. Come where you can. <laughs> uh, I, feel Tucker, like I, saw, I saw what you went home with from bars. Exactly. I understand that motto. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I wish I had. Hold on. Is it, <laughs> I, have it? No. I have uh, no idea what you're talking about, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name names for, for a lot of people's sakes. But, uh, yeah. Again, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, man. I was, I was going to see if I could. If only I could find um, Tucker's sex tape. Oh, let's say, uh, <laughs> what, what, what's, what's your motto, Tucker? If you don't remember it, it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> um, A lot of nights in college, I don't remember. <laughs> so the, the origin of the song's title is unclear, but Charles R. Cross, who wrote uh, a biography, speculated that the song may have been named after the motto used by the Morick Hotel in Cobain's hometown of Aberdeen, Washington. The, the Morick was one of many places Cobain stayed after leaving his home for a time when he was 17 years old. Went through a, a period of homelessness, apparently. Okay. You know, can we just, can we talk about how Nirvana as, as, as a band, as a whole, just, they're the ones, between them and Pearl Jam, they really kicked off the whole Seattle grunge movement. And I would actually kind of lean towards Nirvana a little more than than like Pearl Jam because I think they started first. I would say Nirvana is definitely more of a grunge. I mean, both Seattle, but more Nirvana is more grunge than to um, Pearl Jam being more rock. Yeah, and and I'll say this: I I like Pearl Jam, but they're a band to me to me that are a small doses band. Yeah. I'll go through stages where I can listen to them and then I won't, I won't listen to them for a year. Yeah. Uh, however, Nirvana, that's a, any of their, any of their albums I can listen to pretty much at will. Well, um, just to kind of lead that as well, you know, Nirvana started in uh, 87 mm -hmm. and uh, Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam was in 1990. Well, there you go. So, there you go. Um, okay. Now, so. Dave Grohl, did not join until 1990, though. Right. Yeah. After the so, after the first first album yep. had already dropped. All righty. Moving on to number four. Well, Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Number uh, track number four is "Breed," of course, written by Kurt Cobain. Uh, three minutes three seconds long. It was released on September 24th, 1991. I guess that's when the album was released, and we'll play a little snippet of it. And can we talk about the iconic album cover? Oh, I know. Nothing like a naked baby. That kid's like 20 now. 
He's older than that. Let's see. So lyrically, lyrically, this song addresses themes of teenage apathy and fear within the American middle class. Stevie Chick of Kerrang! wrote that lyrics such as, we can plant a house, we can build a tree, displayed Cobain's gift for crafting witty, purposeful nonsense. You know, it's this is a harder rock version of the song Hook. Hook? Yeah, you remember that song, right? Um, son of a bitch. Blue, I think it was Blues Travelers. The, the whole song is nonsense. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Cause the hood. like it, it doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything, but it sounds good. That's uh, yeah, you're right. So this is the this is the baby now. Like he's he's. It. Yeah, he actually he's actually tried to sue Nirvana, um, and the, I think the lawsuit. Yeah, I think the lawsuit most recently got dismissed because you know he's recreated the cover album multiple times throughout his career. Even got the damn out the cover album tattooed on his chest. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he, he did that. The um, judge was like, the uh, judge that, was like, "This is a frivolous lawsuit, and we're done." That just yeah. happened. Actually, it was according to NPR on January fourth. Yeah. It was dismissed. Spencer yeah. Elden. It was this year. He uh, he was making claims that it has like ruined his life and that it's all he could do because everyone's always seen him naked as a baby and everyone knows him as that and stuff like that. But yeah, it's exactly that. It's because he was recreated it multiple times, has celebrated it, you know, his tattoo, that stuff. That uh, like, kind of looks like he's looking for money. It kind of looks like he fell off Meth Mountain in that last picture you showed. I know, right? Too. Yeah. Look at how traumatized I, he is. Yeah, yeah, I mean he. The one, and the one know, where he's actually he's underwater. Probably getting, he's probably up. getting residuals. He's probably getting residuals from it. No, I think his no, parents like, took a, a lump uh, yeah. payment. Oh really? Yeah, his parents I think took a lump payment for the for the use of their baby basically. Human trafficking. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, they got the baby back. <laughs> this is definitely much heavier than than the previous tracks. Very, very high energy though. Very poppy. You know, um, I, I, I like this, but I like harder rock a lot of times, but I feel like this is a good one. It's a good spot in the album yep. to kind of, you know, turn up the energy and turn it up overall, especially like if you look at it, like they're doing this, like a play set, like they're in concert, right? Like you got a couple, you got, a, you, got you know, some, some popular good songs, you know, they're there. And then all of Start a sudden you've got this, you know, punch in the face, you know, heavy, heavier song um now even saying that there's a few other songs on the album that i think are a little bit heavier that i really don't like and that yeah i'll get to a point like maybe i can listen to a little bit of them and then it's just like all right i gotta i gotta skip on this is getting a little bit too much now yeah um but yeah no i i, I actually really like this one as, as the was, one of the heavier ones it definitely was a nice punch of a, of a punch up of intensity yep so i mean it's a it's a it's a fun song it's fast-paced I actually, it's it's probably about the same 
uh, as a smells like teen spirit mm-hmm. as far as tempo and pacing goes. But I honestly think I like, I like this song better than smells like teen spirit. Really? I, I don't know, man. That's, I that's, can, it's a bold I, assertion. I can kind of agree in a sense only because smells like team spirit is one of those songs that like when this came out, it was blasted on the radio and it was like almost overkill of a song. And it's, it's one of the, it's one of the songs on this album that is like consistently used in movies, especially high high school movies. If there's a high school movie, they're playing. It's, Smells like Team Spirit. Yeah. It could be fucking the year three thousand, and they're <laughs> still gonna use this mo- this song. Te- smells like Team Spirit in a teen movie. Like it's not gonna oh, make any sense there, but that's it, bullshit because the world's not gonna be here in year three thousand. Look, global man. warming, <laughs> melting the polar ice caps, all that bullshit. I won't be here, but so there'll be some aliens walking around doing it after they they you know find a CD somewhere in the the ruins. I mean, technically, the planet will still be here. We'll just all be dead. Yeah. But, but no, it's, no, it's yeah, it's definitely one of those ones where like smells like Team Spirit is very highly used in you know movies and TV and all that kind of stuff. So it's like I can see why some people wouldn't like it because especially if you're one of these people where you were listening to a radio all day long and it's like you hear the song every thirty minutes, right? But no, I, I I like this one. I mean, it's it's hard for me to pick my my favorite song on the album. I I have one. Um, we actually haven't gotten it to it yet, but. Sorry, I'm, uh, I just saw Chris and Trey text us, so I was just responding. Okay. It's amazing they both gave this song or this album well, zero beers. Perfect yeah. album. Okay, I was about to say. <laughs> All right, let's keep on moving. Track number five, Lithium, of course, written by Kurt Cobain, four minutes and 16 seconds, released July 13th, 1992, as, a, as the third single from Nevermind. I, can, I, should, I can't believe this is not all the way back. It's weird to go from the previous high energy song to this. I'm so happy because today found my friends in my head. I'm so ugly. That's okay because so are you. We'll go miss Sunday morning. It's every day for all I care. And I'm not scared. All right, so um, as Cobain explained in the song, a guy's lost his girl and his friends and he's brooding. He's decided to find God before he kills himself and it's hard for me to understand the need for a vice like religion but I can't appreciate it too. People need vices. You know, you, you made the comment about you go from this, this heavy song to this one, mm-hmm. but you have that moment there where it, it has like a moment of heavy. Yeah. So it, again, going back to the whole thing of like looking at it, of like a play of like set list, mm-hmm. it's a really good middle because yeah. it's got the slow, it's got the, all right, we're calming down a little bit. Hey, yep. you're pumping back up. And then you kind of drop back down again. Yeah. So, it, you know, you have those high moments still yep. where people still have those juices flowing and they're not falling asleep, though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's still got a lot of energy. And, and yeah, these parts, the yeah parts, get, mm-hmm. get loud and get hard. Just like Tucker around his uncle. 
<laughs> Sorry. Trey's not here. I had someone had to do it. Uh, I find it funny. Watching the oh, so you watching the Mandalorian? No, it's my phone yeah, setting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, this is probably my second. I mean, besides "Smells Like Teen Spirit," I think this is actually probably my second favorite song on this album. I think it's just a really good song. It's a lot of fun. I mean, like you said, it's it <laughs> it's very middle ground. I mean, it's not too high. You're not like I mean, you can headbang to it, but you can you can not along as well you know I'll, I'll be honest the first six songs in this album which i know we haven't gotten to the sixth song yet you, you got to remember this is back when cassettes were being made too so you had a side and b side the first six songs were definitely strong enough to all be a side songs yeah um you know I didn't the second add. the second the second half of this album which we'll get into in a minute is still strong it's still good but i mean he a side of Nevermind was a home run. Yeah, I agree. So you just confused a whole generation of people that don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> What's a tape? I, yeah. So that actually reminded me. So do y'all remember? Did y'all have this album? Did y'all buy this album? Uh, I had it on. I had it on CD. See, I had it. My, I, had, I had it on tape. My brother, I think, had it. Yeah. Um, I was. I mean, ninety four, still a little bit younger. You know, wasn't really buying my own stuff, but. This is probably one of the ones like when Smells Like Teen Spirit and some of these came on the radio. I was there like, you know, calling to the radio station to, you know, play this song so I can like hit the record button on yeah, the stadium. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. So, <clears throat> so now yeah. I'll say this. I'll say this. I didn't buy it and I didn't get it in 1991 no, because I, I was, uh, I don't know, fuck, I was seven. Yeah, I was yeah. nine. So yeah, eight going on nine. I, oh, that's weird. I to probably, think I was my daughter's age. I probably didn't get this album until closer to the mid nineties. Yeah. Somewhere around the 96, 97 time frame. Yeah. But, probably like middle school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I did, I do remember, I do remember having it. And a funny story about it. I do remember um, having to hide the album cover yep. from my, from my mom because she would have flipped her shit. Seeing a baby dick. Pretty much. Mm. I mean, I, it's it's an easy it's an easy one it, if you're going to it take may it have just been that tucker had something musically tucker had something she would have flipped her shit um I, so the first cd i ever bought i bought when i was 13 years old when i got my first cd player when i was 13 <clears> and i bought it was dookie's it was green day dookie album but i had this before that and like i said i had this on tape but i don't remember when i it, like yeah it was sixth or seventh grade so whatever i'll, I'll, I'll I'll, I'll tell you my favorite CD that I ever bought was the Bloodhound Gang's Hooray for Boobies. I, have oh, that. I got that Christ. one. The CD looks like a boob. Yeah, it literally has a thing on it that says stick your tongue in through the back. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. you stick your tongue in to make it look like a boob. And like it, a your tongue's the nipple. Yeah. That's, uh, man, I hadn't listened to that one in a long time. My favorite track on that is that one where he uh, he calls his mom and he's trying to find words that rhyme with vagina. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, well, why don't you change the word? He's like, what? It's like, pussy or something or cunt and she's like i'll stop it tim yeah <laughs> i uh i i'm surprised you didn't say it's the ballad of chasey lane no, if you remember one that too. one I, I vaguely remember that one yeah it's the uh the one where he's writing the stripper or the the porn star the entire time saying i want to you know eat your your ass <laughs> and then you actually have her in the album at the end of it talking about i'd rather like fuck a splintered piece of balsa wood i don't remember that part but i'll take it <laughs> it's, it's if you ever go back and listen to it like the song all of the songs on that album were like 
God, that band would have been shut down in a heartbeat today oh, with the yeah, no <laughs> with the PZ stuff. But no like, way. oh yeah, it, it it was hilarious, and I bought I'll it. I actually this. bought it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite. See, it's really hard for me to say that I have a favorite album because yeah. you know you hear a song and it's like one day you really love it, and then you move on, and then a year or two later you come back to it. But one one artist that I always keep coming back to, and this album is probably in. It's gonna sure. be in, in my personal top ten. Ah, fuck you, no man. It's Kid Rock's <laughs> Devil. Kid Rock's Devil Without a Cause. No, no, I, I, I can't say I got a favorite album altogether. Honestly, like I, yeah. I've got favorite bands. Um, you know, for me, it's like Shine Down and Seether, and nice. Um, you know, those are those are my favorites. I've seen them both in concert multiple times, and they put on amazing shows. My, one um, of my biggest regrets is never been. Uh, Seether puts on a good show. Audio Slave is one of my top five of all time and i i hate yep. that i never got to see them live yeah no shinedown puts on one of the best shows i've seen yeah. um seether puts on a good a good show but i saw them one time and uh, when i lived in atlanta and they were so shit-faced drunk really on stage that sean um the lead singer actually stopped and said look i completely fucked that up we're gonna we're gonna start over and there it, it was is. An, it was the next year after that that they said they got sober and they stopped drinking prior to doing shows that's probably smart. I saw um, I saw Smashing Pumpkins in concert one time, and Billy Corgan was so damn drunk he almost fell off the stage. I think and the- <laughs> messed up messed up the lyrics to his own song and didn't even catch it. The best concert I think I've ever been to. Uh, I got to go see. Um, oh shit! Uh, oh my god! I can't think of the name of the band. Holy crap! It just it just left my brain. It's it's like a super group. It uh, it had um, like all the members from Guns and Roses. Except for Axel Rose. Velvet Revolver. Velvet Revolver. Velvet, Thank you. Velvet Revolver. That was one of the best concerts I've ever. They know how to put on a fucking show between I, Slash and Scott Wyland. Or yep. no, is it Scott? Yeah, Scott Wyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Stone Temple Pilots lead singer. Yeah, glad yeah. I got to see. So that. they traded. They traded. They traded an asshole for a cokehead. Pretty much. Did he? He killed himself too, didn't he? Or did he overdose? Uh, Wyland. I think Wyland overdosed. I am looking that up right now. Yep. All right, y'all want to move on to the next one? Yes. Sure. All right, N- track number six is Polly, written by Kurt Cobain, two minutes, 57 seconds, released on September 24th, 1991. And play. Polly wants a cracker. I think I should get off her first. All right, so before we get before we move on into this, um, Scott Weiland was found dead at the age of 48 on his tour bus in 2015 in Bloomington, Minnesota. Um, multiple narcotics, including Xanax, buprenorphine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I may be pronouncing that wrong. My wife's looking at me like I'm a fucking idiot. Ibuprofen. Uh, Zipracidone, Viagra, sleeping pills, cocaine, marijuana. Viagra? Stop looking at me like that. Viagra, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess he got cocaine. Let's dick. see. It sounds the like he medical, just took a, a cocktail of pills. The medical examiner later uh, determined Wyland's death was the result of an accidental overdose of cocaine, alcohol, and MDMA. All right. You know, when you start listing off all those kind of things, you kind of 
I kind of question it. Like, was it was it really an accidental overdose? Well, I don't like, think he intended what, to overdose. No, no. Well, no, I'm saying uh, like it's one of two things. It's like either you just didn't give a shit anymore and you just did it knowing that you're probably gonna die from it, yeah. or was it a bunch of shit that someone else gave him? Who knows? Okay. I mean, so- on the one hand, on the one hand, I get what you're saying, Daniel, but being a recreational drug user, you're kind of. Oh yeah, no, no, no. You're, well, you're taking you're taking the responsibility on yourself. It, that's yeah, like, I, mean, uh, I think that's more than likely. I think it just look at it of like you have this many drugs in a system like that. That's just. Well, I think there's a when big you start thinking about between, how some of the drugs are mixed and made, and there's a big difference between a recreational drug user that smokes weed every once in a while and like someone who's mixing shit like that, alcohol, yeah. you know, coke and and MDMA. Come on, like that's just dumb. Yeah. That, okay. That's where I'm you're not, at a point I'm you not, just don't care anymore. But all right, I'm go ahead. Not saying that it's, I'm not saying it's not dumb, but it's an implied risk. Yeah. That's true. All I right, mean, so, it's, it's an implied risk of, doing, of, of being a damn drug head. All right, so Co- yeah. Cobain wrote Polly about an incident in Tacoma, Washington involving the abduction and rape of a 14-year-old girl in August of 1987. Gerald Arthur Friend kidnapped... Hold on. Almost over. Gerald Arthur Friend kidnapped the girl while she was leaving a rock concert, suspended her upside down from a pulley in his mobile home, and raped and tortured her with a blowtorch. She managed to escape by jumping from his... I know, right? She managed to escape by jumping from his truck at a gas station, attracting attention from surrounding people. Arthur was later arrested and convicted for his crime. Cobain's uh, addition to the story was to have the victim fool the kidnapper into thinking she was enjoying what he was doing to her causing him to let his guard down enough for her uh, long enough for her to escape. Pretty fucked up, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, like, yeah, that's I, a... I, I should have Googled. I should have Googled the story, but I didn't. And then let me just last little bit. Out. So in his Nirvana biography, come as you are journalist, Michael Azaran noted that rape seemed to be a consistent theme in Cobain's songs and interviews as if Cobain was quote unquote, apologizing for his entire gender. However, Cobain explained, quote, I don't feel bad about being a man at all. There are all kinds of men that are on the side of that are on the side of women and support them and influence and influence other men. In fact, a man using himself as an example toward other men are probably can probably make more impact than a woman can. Kind of a that's a it's an interesting statement. And I, I mean, I, I don't know if you could say something like that nowadays, but but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, when, I think you say something like that right now and you'd probably be like accused of mansplaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or you get fucking canceled. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm almost surprised this hadn't come back up yet for this specific song. But um, so when I first started listening to this, I was like, man, this is kind of a, you know, it's it's definitely a, you went from real high up to then we went to the mid-level last song. And now it's kind of this one's a little downtrodden. But at the same time, if you think about the the content of the song, yeah. it is a dark fucking song. It's a it is a dark fucking song. Really With that being dark. said, it's it's this is changing things up for the band style significantly because it's not it's not real heavy it's not super uh bass or drum heavy this is almost like an acoustic almost pop song that they've taken this horrible lyrical content and tried to make it somewhat happier yeah Yeah. well i mean it's definitely one of those songs i mean you think about i think a lot of the bands around this time you know when they were doing concert they would have like an acoustic song they would have your acoustic ballad yeah, you, you'd have one in there that, you know, everyone else would take a break real quick. And then, you you know, the lead singer would just sit on a stool with his acoustic guitar and, and do a song. And it sounds like this is it. I mean, you know, the story behind it, like, I, I honestly never knew about it. I've always, I've heard that it was a, it had a dark thing behind it, but I never knew the actual story. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, 
fucked up situation there. Yeah, I mean, you can look, you can listen to the lyrics and kind of tell that it's. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's out. one of those things. It's funny because, like, you know, think about it. How many songs that you just do you sing along with? You know the lyrics, but do you process really, them? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it, well, hell, here's in the first in the first verse. Polly wants a cracker. I think I should get off her first. I think she wants some water to put out the blowtorch. Yeah. That's the first fucking that's the first fucking uh, set of lyrics. Dark. Again, like I don't think I've ever actually listened to the lyrics in that capacity. To actually process that that's what it's saying. Like I think if I actually listened to that and I actually heard those lyrics, I'd probably like, wait a minute, what? Um second second yeah. verse. Polly wants a cracker. Maybe she would like some food. She asked me to untie her. A chase would be nice for a few. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Okay. As I mean, head, like I said, if, this is this is you, this song right here is why I wanted Chris on here because, he, like you said last night, I was like, "Oh, fucking Polly and her cracker." I'm like, I didn't have even listen to it yet, but I was like, I, I, "I've always liked this song. I've always enjoyed it." Now I'm like, "Fuck, it is dark." I don't. I don't think I could ever listen to the song again and actually like jam out to it in a way. I know, knowing, right? Knowing that the fucked upness behind it, and especially Tucker reading the damn lyrics now. Yeah, I'm gonna really listen to the lyrics and be like, I'm. I'm fucking disturbed i mean i still i still like the song but it's fucking dark it is super yeah. dark you know i thought about another bit that we should do and, and I, this it's kind of it's twofold actually now because because of this um just something fun it doesn't really have anything to do with the actual podcast but i thought we should do like um dark like dark facts or something like that like disturbing disturbing facts that each one of us just every week we you got to show up with a new disturbing fact it's like got like some kind of dark mm-hmm. history to it. And the reason I thought about this, uh, I was talking to Ashley about, you know, we're doing this album for whatever. And uh, I was reading, I can't remember what I was reading. I was reading something about, okay, you know, the song sitting on the dock of the bay. Yeah. Okay. You know, the very end of it, when he starts whistling, I can't whistle. You know how it ends though with him whistling. Yeah. Okay. So originally that was not going to be the ending of the song. They were going to come like they, they recorded it. And then he just did that as the ending, like a placeholder until they can come back and do whatever musical ending they were going to do. The guy died in a, died in a plane crash like a week later. Jesus. And, and they never changed the song. So they just left it with the whistling at the end. So it's got this nice light little like, oh, this is a fun way to end a song. And it's like, oh, wait, it's that way because they just did it as a placeholder. And he died. So I just thought I'd shove a little more darkness on you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Hope you sleep all well tonight. You got me. You got me thinking of dark facts now, and I had to look some up. Yeah. What do you got? <laughs> yeah. Give, give us a dark fact. Uh, did you know that in the filming of the 1982 movie Poltergeist, real corpses were used? What? Yes. Lovely. In, wait, in what scene? Fuck if I know. Because <laughs> I'm trying to remember Poltergeist. The only thing that had corpses were like at one point, like he falls into where they're digging out the the pool, and. There were bodies that came up, but that would be fucking. I know the little girl that played Carol Ann died, like, like unusually young. Uh, Poltergeist is ending. Hmm. Oh, so where? Yeah, where they're in the pool and the bodies came up, and like the skeletons and stuff. Like those that. Are... Those are those are real. Oh, that is terrible. That's that's yeah. How do so that's not up? even like them. Like that's not even them, like just showing real corpses. Like if you remember, like the very iconic image of that is, and it's like the, the article I pulled up now. It's got the woman in the water and the corpse with like the skull leaning on. 
and she's screaming. No, hell no. I would never have yeah. done that movie. <laughs> hail to the, hail to the, no, no, no. <laughs> hey, I hate to do this, but we're going to get a move on. It's getting kind of late. Yeah, we're an hour ahead of you. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven, Territorial Pissings, written by Kurt Cobain and Chet Powers. He, this is the second one that's got uh, extra writing credit. Two minutes and 22 seconds was never released as a single, obviously. Ah, go. Play. Come on, people now! Smile on your brother! Everybody get together! Try to love one another right now! So this is definitely very punk and very, very heavy. This is a, almost like a, has almost like a Sex Pistols feel to it. I completely agree with you, yeah. yeah. So this song is a two and a half minute punk lambasting of the typical macho man, quote unquote. In addition to being about sexism, the song is also about the way Kurt Cobain saw Native Americans treated around his hometown of Aberdeen, Washington. I just... You know, this... This is a. Uh, it's not a bad song, but this is probably my least favorite song on the entire album. Really? Hold on, I gotta. I'm gonna grab beer. I'll be right back. Yeah, I. I'm not a huge, huge fan of this one. I can listen to this probably about halfway through normally, before I'm just like, good. I gotta move on. Well, and, the fact that know. it's only two and a half minutes long, I, I can listen to the whole song. But it's not going to be one that I'm going to go. I'm going to pull up the the Nevermind album on my phone, yeah, and go. All right, that's the one. That's the song I want to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with "Come as You Are." I'm going to go with "In Bloom." Yeah, um, lithium, lithium, breed. I mean, this one definitely has a spot to listen to, but you've got. I think it's got to be a very specific kind of mindset to go. Yeah. I want to listen to this one. Yeah, you, you, this has got to be a mood a mood song like uh-huh. I, I could feel like this being like I'm, a, I'm in a pissed off mood I'm going to listen to this one um, but yeah n- nine times out of ten listening through this album um, this is one of those ones I'm going to start rocking to it at first and then I'll be like okay I'm done this uh, part like, like, this part right here yeah um, I, I don't know I mean like when they perform live I never obviously saw them live but I can imagine this song will be hard to do or do anything else after this song. You know, like it's got to tear up your vocal. No, nah, you, you, you. I mean, you couldn't close a concert with this. No, this would be. But you like, couldn't do this and then do something else. I mean, you tear. You up your could voice. do this. You could do something like this and then do Polly because it give you a do, few minutes to yeah. yeah grab some water, relax. I mean, let your vocal cords rest. Yeah, I was going to say even outside of doing that, like you could do this and then like our. We're gonna take a you know a break. We're gonna take a have an intermission. You know, intermission. Yeah, everyone go take a piss and get a beer or whatever, and come. It back. would be a, it would be a good intermission song. Like pump up that energy and then just take like a, let everyone kind of like ride that wave through the intermission yeah. into into a second half. Again, yeah, I mean, it, it is it's, right about the middle of the album as well because yep. there's thir- thirteen to- total songs on the album. This is song seven, so this is this is my least favorite track on the on my album and i still like it i mean I'll, I'll still listen to it but it's when i think of 
I, I got one that Carolina. I like that I dislike. This is more. not. This is not it. There's there's yeah. one on here I dislike more that I absolutely cannot listen to. Yeah, I mean, this one does not sound like what you think of Nirvana. This is very punk rock. Yep. Oh, yeah. I don't think of Nirvana as punk rock. All right, track number eight, Drain You, written by Kurt Cobain, three minutes and 43 seconds long, released on September 24th, 1991, as a pro- promotional single. One baby to another says I'm lucky to meet you. I'm talking what you think this is about me. I like this song. This is a good song. Yeah, it's it's. I haven't looked up the lyrics to see exactly what they're talking about, but I do like the song. I like the beat. It's just I so in in the uh, it's typical Nirvana. It is. It's that's good song musically in the same category as the more popular Nirvana's tracks. It's it's heavy, but it's simple and poppy at the same time. No. It almost kind of reminds me of Weezer in, in a way. You know, so uh, I said this before about like, you know, listening in the car and driving, you like, it seems like everything kind of flows through. And after listening to a lot of the songs already here, being on number eight, it's like, I would say again, it's like the music and the, like the way that it's formatted in a way, it still sounds similar. But when you look, when you listen deeper, like I was saying before, you tell a difference in all of them. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just the, the tone and the way that it goes, but everything still flows in that same, like general, I guess, mood. I don't really know what to do it. And I'm not a musician by any means. Like, no, I'm not either. I, I, I tried to learn how to play bass guitar and my dumbass tried to play duality from Slipknot. Like, oh, yeah, Jesus. so <laughs> I got, I got like the beginning of it down and then I'm like, yeah, fuck, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> so uh, um, in, in the Nirvana biography, Come As You Are, uh, the, the author described Drain You as a love song or rather a song about love in which the babies in the lyrics represent two people reduced to a state of perfect innocence by their love. Cobain told Azerod that the lyrics made him think of, quote, two brat kids who are in the same hospital bed. The song's imagery uh, pre- predicted the uh, medical themes that would feature heavily in the lyrics of Nirvana's follow-up album in utero. You know... I get that, but the interpretation that I found, and I think that it fits. Uh, this is about Cobain's struggle with heroin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could. Um, yeah. I travel through a tube and end up in your infection, in a passionate kiss from my mouth to yours. I mean, mouth the needle, second yeah. mouth is his vein. That's fair. So, I mean, you know, it, no, I like this it. song, this song could be about him, you know, chasing the dragon or whatever, like whatever the kids call it. <laughs> whatever the kids call it. Oh, you got to realize, man, Kurt, Kurt Cobain was younger than us when he died. Yeah. About like 13 years now. Well, I mean, he's only two years older than we are. He was born in 82. Cobain? No, he wasn't. He was one of sixty-two. No, Kurt, Kurt 60, was, was it sixty-two? Yeah, it was. I'm sorry, my, my, I looked at shit wrong. I don't know why I thought it said eighty-two when I looked at it. Right. He was born in sixty-seven. 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 Oh, 67. Sorry, excuse me. Sixty-seven. Yeah, I know it was 67. in the sixties. Where the hell did? Oh, I'm thinking the band. The band overall started in eighty-two. 
He was, or Kurt Cobain was active as a musician since 82. There you go. That's weird to think about because, I mean, that's when I was, I was born in 82. All right. Number nine, track number nine, Lounge Act, written by Kurt Cobain, two minutes and 36 seconds long. So uh, this this one reminds me of uh, when I listen to it. It, it reminds me of uh, the Offspring. Super super bass heavy, you know. I yeah yeah. I, and honestly, that's this is probably one of my favorite intros from the song or from the album because of like you got the growl and then the just straight bass. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and it's just. Even though it, it starts out like that, it sounds like it's going to be like the super heavy, like bassy song. Right. And then it goes into like what we're listening to now. It's like, it's not super bassy. It's not that, but it's, it has that intro. Even going back to what we were saying before about like, there's so many intros in this this album that are just, as soon as you hear it, you're like, all right, I'm ready. Yeah. It kind of bring it pulls you into the song and it gets you kind of yeah. psyched up for it. Um, well, you know, Dave, Dave Grohl said, and y'all may have said, you may have said this earlier, and I missed it. Dave Grohl said in an interview about uh, Cobain, talking about the lyrics. The lyrics were always second, second to what Cobain wanted to do. He was always, he was all about the music. His okay. attitude was the the lyrics will come, but the music has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I, I, so, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think he, I think he nails it. I mean, well, for, for like, what like I, you were I, saying before about like some songs that have lyrics that absolutely mean nothing behind them. Yep. It still is an amazing song because the music is good. Yeah. You could have the best lyrics in, in the industry. If your song sounds like shit, it doesn't matter. Well, and like uh, he even said that a lot of his, his lyrics are poems that he had written before and, and just reworked into songs. Yeah. They don't really yeah. mean anything. I mean, I, maybe they mean something too meant something to him but a lot of it's just nonsensical just put into put against music you know yeah i mean there had to be some kind of emotion or something that was driving yeah the creativity well, so this one specifically a the title comes from the fact that nirvana thought that the bass intro sounded something like a cheesy lounge band would use <laughs> nice which i thought was pretty funny and then um also, this is the only song that Cobain admitted was about his much maligned ex-girlfriend, a woman named Toby Vale. She was also in a, a, a musician in another band. Hmm. So, track number 10, Stay Away, written by Kurt Cobain, 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 three minutes and 32 seconds long. I'm gonna be surprised if this ever actually gets published on uh, YouTube using all the, the the music under it. But whatever, who cares? This is definitely very very punk, you know. Yeah, it's not as it's not as punk heavy as uh, terrestrial pissings, but true, it's... true. It, um, still a very iconic song that like you hear a lot of this used in other media. I mean, like 
I, I can't remember for sure, but I don't remember what movie this may have been used in, but I know it was in something. Yeah. Um, so this was originally titled Pay to Play, and the song appears to be about many things, including including annoyance, stay away, lack of popularity, I'd rather be dead than cool, dead than cool, and predictability in people. Every line ends in a rhyme. But to me, I've, this song to me is it's very simple and to the point. It's about confusion and agitation. That it's easier to push people away than try to explain things to them. I think it's just, again, angst, teen angst, even though he was 20 years old when he wrote it. Daniel, I think this was a. Uh, I think this might have been an episode of Family Guy. <laughs> really? I, I would not uh, doubt that. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, but I think this was in an episode of Family Guy. Y'all got anything about this one? Uh, I, I don't have a lot of strong feelings one way or another about this song. I mean, it's a solid piece of mm-hmm. of sort of that punk grunge mix that they go for on a few tracks. Um, I, I don't know if it's because they had the overdrive kicked up to like fucking... 17 on this right. it's really really hard to understand uh, a lot of what Kurt Cobain's saying in the song like worse than usual I was gonna say hard like, to understand what he's saying <laughs> you know I, it, it makes me think here you know, we were talking earlier about like the cassette and like the part the side a side b and you know once you get to poly after that you start getting a lot more of these ones that are a lot more punkish like, yeah. like, a lot harder and stuff like that on the side so side b. you know Side B was probably the harder side overall. And I, in a way, I like it because it's, it's different. A lot of the ones that are harder are a little bit different than the rest yeah. of everything else that this Nirvana is, did. This is definitely one of those songs, like, if you're pissed off at someone and you're getting your car to, like, go somewhere and you're just pissed off, like, you crank this shit up and just fucking stay away from me. Fuck off, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, that's – I had a different song. For, than the, than this when I was in a bad mood, but I can see that. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, mine was, was mine was always uh, I would get in the car and just start blaring DMX X gonna give it to you. You're such a simp. You're so uh, white. <laughs> I, I actually you, well, my mine might be even whiter. I don't know, but mine was actually Break Stuff by Limp Biscuit. Oh man, yeah, that's definitely that is, worse. That's a good um, one. I but it was a good wins. one. It was, it was a it was a true just like that, it was it was the feeling of you know I'm pissed off. I want to break stuff. Yeah, and like and that's what that song was. Man, we should do the Limp Biscuit album. That'd be so terrible to do right now. Yeah. Was that the um, that was Chocolate Starfish, right? Yes. Yep. I used to, I'm not gonna lie, man. And it was I mean it was an album of its time, and I used to love that album. I had um, that little. Dude, so my first car I had that little red, had a little red Integra, Acura Integra, and I had two 14-inch subwoofers in the back, and I would play like Jesus. Limp Biscuit or something, and oh my god, it would just blow fucking windows out. It was so much fun. Uh-uh. All right, here we go. No, uh, try uh, to be young again. I know, right? Young, dumb, and <laughs> still have hearing. Uh, all right, track yeah, number, that's it. Yeah, track number eleven on a plane, written by Kurt Cobain, three minutes and sixteen seconds, released on the. On the album on September ninety one, but then it was released as a promotional single in ninety two. Is this? Yeah, this is our one. Stop this sound without any words. 
So uh, in a July 1993 interview in New York City, Cobain told English journalist John Savage that On a Plane was about, quote, classic alienation, I guess. Although he then noted he has to change his explanation every time he was asked about the meaning of his songs. Excuse me. Saying that his lyrics were largely taken from, quote, pieces of poetry thrown together and that his poetry was not, quote, not was, quote, not usually thematic at all. Which that tracks if you list, you know read any of the lyrics for any of his other songs what one thing i'll say about this one is i think this is a little bit different than some of his other songs this one's got feels like it's relying a lot more on power chords mm-hmm. a little power chord heavy than some of the other stuff except for maybe smells like teen spirit yeah but it's almost like the the melody and composition is simpler than some of the other stuff. Does that make sense? Like it would be easier for somebody like you or me that doesn't have a lot of experience playing an instrument could pick up, could learn this song more easily. So I'm looking right now at the lyrics, obviously to see on the screen and it's, I mean, it's literally pretty much the same thing over and over again. There's one, two, three different, like, uh, refrains that are different, but everything else is repeated. So, and, but a lot of the songs are like this. Not, not many of them are very lyrically complicated. They're very, like we've talked about, simplistic and, and somewhat nonsensical. But uh, still angsty and full of energy. So. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a good one, but I think it's more. It's still, you know, it goes along with you know. I think what I was saying before, it it feels really similar to a lot of the other songs. It's just a little bit heavier in spots, and you know. But I would say I would make the, the argument the lyrics, like I said it's simpler. So great. Well, I mean, it's when I say harder, I'm not meaning like hard, like hard rock. It's it's not as easy listening as maybe some of the other ones are. Okay, I can, I can get behind that. I mean, it's, it's a good song. Though. I remember the single, and I, I do oh. like it as a single. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like I said, there, there's not many songs on here that I would say are not good songs. Yeah. Like there, And like I said, there's there's really only one song that I do not like at all on this album. Well, it's got to be one of these last two then, because you haven't said it yet. <laughs> yeah. It's not so, going to be something in the way. No, it... I will say it is it is the very last song is the one I do not like at all. Something in this way Endless is yeah, endless name is I, I, I like I'm I'm actually I'll agree with you on that and we'll get into it, you know, here yep. here shortly. So all right, well track number twelve, something in the way, written by Kurt Cobain, three minutes and fifty two seconds. So, something the way was never released as a single and never considered part of the band's live set list. Uh, it was, tra- but here now this is interesting. Something in the way charted for the first time 
in August of 2020 after appearing in the first trailer for the 2022 superhero film The Batman. The song peaked at number two on Billboard's U.S. Rock Digital Sales Chart and number five on their U.S. Alternative Digital Sales Chart. It also reached the top 20 in both Amazon's music and iTunes digital music charts. So, but, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, Cobain, go ahead. Cobain himself suggested the song was not necessarily autobiographical, telling Nirvana biographer Michael Arizad, or Azarad, sorry, that the lyrics were, quote, like if I was living under the bridge and I was dying of AIDS, if I was sick and I couldn't move and I was a total street person, that was kind of the fantasy of it. Um, I'll actually say that this is actually my favorite song on the album. Really? Really? Yeah, this is actually my favorite song on the album. And it's, it's just, it's completely different, I feel like, in a way of everything else on the album, which is one of the reasons why. And the, I remember, I know I've heard it before on the album and stuff like that when I was younger, but the first time I actually remember hearing it and being like, I love this song, was there's actually a movie that came out in 2007 called The Invisible. Um, and this was used in that movie. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I would definitely say go watch it. It's yeah. the, the, the synopsis on it basically is the kid gets, uh, the high school kid gets beat up by this girl who's like a thug kind of thing. They think he's dead, but he's not really dead yet. Um, I'm not and dead yet. <laughs> while he's unconscious, though, he's able to like walk through life as like a ghost. Um, and it turns out that the only person who can actually hear him still is the girl who put him in like the coma. Wow. Um, and goes through it. And it's, um, I pulled it up real quick. It's Justin Chatwin is the name of the kid who plays it. Um, it's not, there's not a lot of like big, big name actors like we would think now, but uh, it's definitely one of these ones that I really, really enjoy this song and, and that that movie is where where i first heard it but yeah no it, it got used in the batman this late the latest movie and it was like it blew up i think even more after that now see i don't i'll have to go back and find the batman because i remember seeing previews for it i don't remember this song being in the in the previews for it. it's like the main one that they use in it really it's like brooding and stuff yeah did you see that one have you seen the yeah. new batman i thought it was yeah, pretty good uh, no you should I, watch it man it's on hbo max i i think it was a good um a good and different introduction to Batman as a yeah. character. Well, I like it. Be, I mean, I, I don't like how broody he was, like when he was Bruce Wayne. Yeah. I think he made a great Batman. I don't, his Bruce Wayne was a little too broody for me, but, yeah. um, but I love that it was, it wasn't a superhero movie. I mean, it is a straight, it's a detective story. It's like a noir yeah. detective story. Well, and that's the thing is it go, that movie went into like, Batman as the world's greatest detective. Yeah. Which I which really I, like. I'm glad they did that. The villain that they used in it was perfect. Yes. For that storyline. Well, it, you know, he was in like, he, they dropped him in like throughout the movie. Yeah. Like you could see him like in a window, like early on in the movie, you could see him watching from a window and stuff like that. Yeah. Did you see the, uh, the cut scene where they, where he met the Joker? Yes. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, in, in, in Arkham. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. Tucky, you got anything for something in the way? I'm trying to look. Uh, I'd actually read somewhere earlier today that you touched on where it talks about him living under a bridge. And 
there's a lot of people that actually dispute that claim. Mm-hmm. One of one of which was a relative, and I'm trying to find where I saw that again. She basically said Kurt never let facts get in the way of a good story. Yeah, he um, was he was so homeless I'm, for I'm a couple trying months, to. But- I don't think they, I, I, yeah, I don't think he actually, and they're saying the bridge that he's talking about is a popular bridge for yeah. kids to hang out at, but they don't think it was the bridge that he supposedly, um, I think if you go to the. Well, uh, his apparently multiple family members dispute that he ever even lived under a bridge, but uh, something in the way, um, it just sounds like he's describing himself almost. According to Wikipedia, something in the way was originally believed to be based on a period when Cobain was homeless and slept under the Young Street Bridge close to his childhood home. While Cobain did run away from a home as a teenager, the belief that he slept under the bridge was refuted by both Nova Selleck and Kurt's sister, Kim Cobain, in the 2001 Cobain biography, Heavier Than Heaven. Both confirmed that Cobain, quote, hung out under the bridge, which is a popular recreation favored by local teenagers, but Nova Selleck told the author that the Rivers, tides, and the muddy banks would have made staying there for a prolonged period of time impossible. Uh, Cross argued that the much larger Sixth Street Bridge, located about a half a mile away, would have been a, more suitable to sleep under, but is also unlikely to have been used by Cobain. I mean, them saying that it's a, a local hangout for kids and stuff like that, if he ran away from home, like, there's, there's no saying. He may have lived, slept there for a night or two yeah. just because it was a place of comfort. It was something he knew. So... Um, now to say that he lived that, underneath it, yeah. So that's the bridge. And saying that he lived underneath it's a bit of a stretch. And like you see where they spray painted "Kurt died for you" under under the bridge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, here's the thing: this one does not have the explosive energy as the other tracks, but it's it's still a very solid song, and it's definitely full. It's got a lot of feeling, you know. I but mean, again, if you like we were talking about before lyrics, about the really hard songs, mm-hmm. you know, the really hard songs where you're you're doing it and. You know, you're, you just want to get some anger out. I feel, to me at least, this is a very calming. Yeah. Um, I, I disagree. I think this is after that red hot anger has burned out, and now you're left with that slow burn. Yeah, I mean, to to me, that's because when I start because down, so. he's he again he's. Let's see. Uh, let me look at the lyrics again. He he's describing himself as being in the way. He is what is in the way. Yeah. Well, and if you look at the lyrics, it's very simplistic. It's literally it's uh, one refrain, and then then you have the the chorus, the mm-hmm. exact same refrain again, and then you finish with the chorus. I mean, it's yeah. a short song, and it's it's very simplistically writ- written. But I mean, I'm living off of grass, the drippings from the ceiling. It's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. Yeah, he's yeah. saying I mean, that, like I said, he's he's saying that he's he's whatever it is that's in the way and. It's almost like he's thinking people have abandoned him. Yeah. All right. Y'all ready? Yeah, I, I, I yeah go for it. Finish this last one up. All right. Track number 13, secret track number 13, Endless and Nameless, written by Kurt Cobain. I actually don't even have how long it is. Um, Six minutes and 43 seconds. Yeah. And it's it's after yep. – so after – after um, what is that? The uh, Something in the Way, there's 10 minutes of silence, and then, and then this song will play. Ah. This, you want to talk about nonsensical lyrics.
Um, so you know, it's we... almost like they—it's almost like they tried to uh, to channel their inner Van Halen here. Yeah, and it and it didn't work. No. Um, according to Come As You Are, Cobain himself was unsure what he was singing during the performance, but believed the, the lyrics included the lines, "I think I can, I know I can." So Cobain doesn't yeah. even know what he's singing. <laughs> So, so um, this is this is this is up there to me with terrestrial uh, pissings, and I, I, I'm not a huge fan of the song. Yeah, and yeah, this is not one that I go to. I'm, I'm this, not gonna lie, album. I, I don't think I've ever heard this one until like today, because I don't remember yeah. hearing it on the original track. Because usually, if I I would have taken at this point once once the uh, previous song ended, once something in the way ended, I would have taken it out and flipped it back over to side one and hit play again. You know, so you, you think about that and you, you go back and you look at like pre CD, like when we're looking at like tapes, they didn't list the secret songs. Mm-hmm. You know, like some CDs would list a secret song still, like yeah. bon- like bonus track stuff. Yeah, they would list bonus tracks and they started doing that. But cassettes still, they would leave you with that like 10 or I, th- I think there was one, I can't remember what band it was that did one that had like, it was like three minutes of dead air. Yeah. And then it was like, and then there was a secret song. Um, so, but it's like with cassettes, they could do that because you literally had to just let the whole thing play mm-hmm. to even find it. And if it wasn't listed, you never would. But like, yeah, I this is the one that like when I was listening to it on Spotify, every time this came on, like, no, nah, I, I skipped it every time. And to go with that, it's the least played song from the album yeah. on Spotify uh, with like 24 million. <laughs> to me, this is like, it's like they just got together and I think they just literally got together in the recording studio and just jammed. And I, I mean, I think they all shot up something and then jammed. I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I'm not, I don't like fish, man. Like I'm not a fan of jam bands. Like I like no. Dave Matthews, but I don't like live Dave Matthews because I don't like, I don't want one song to last 45 minutes, you know? Yeah. Well, you're not, a, you're not a fish head. No, I'm not a fish head. Never happened. <laughs> That was that was the one biggest downfall of working at Mama G's back in the day because they were always playing fish. So whenever I came in, if I was the only one in there, I'd turn it off and play whatever I wanted to listen to because it just got so annoying. I mean, I just can't. I don't like. And that's what to me, that's what this is. It's a jam session, and it just sounds like they're trying to make noise. I don't know. It, it depends on the yeah. jam band because, like, like I love OAR and they're a jam band. Are they? Oh yeah. There we go. Okie dokie. Um, so I guess we don't really do a triple Lindy for this because I mean it's not there's nothing impossible. I mean I guess we can if you want to you can stay. Yes, yes, the triple Lindy. Kurt Cobain did not kill himself. Courtney Love burned him. <laughs> there you go. That is the triple Lindy. Damn it. That's your triple Lindy. That is my triple Lindy. Let's see. Hold on. Did you hear any of that? Nope. No. Let me try again. Oh, you know why? Because I'm not sharing my screen again. Here we go. Ah, no. Where'd it go? There it is. And the Triple Lindy. Triple Lindy. Is that hard? That's impossible. There you go. Triple Lindy. So your Triple Lindy is that Kurt Cobain did not kill himself. Absolutely. Kurt Cobain did not kill himself. Daniel, you got he may, he may have He may have wanted to die, but Courtney loved it. You got anything you want to throw in for a Triple Lindy? No, I mean, outside of that, I don't think there is much there. I think that's fair. All right, well, ratings and reviews. Uh, Daniel, why don't you start us off since you're the guest, buddy? 
Uh, man, you know, I, I, I talked to Tucker earlier today about it a little bit. And I was like, I think I told him I was like two, two and a half or something. And, and after we talked, I'm like, I, I need to go back and re-listen. Cause I knew I really, I listened to it originally in, in the truck while I was driving to and from work. And, um, after re-listening to it, despite there being a couple songs there that like, I really just can't listen to all the time. Like, especially that last one, the album as a whole is, it really is iconic. Like pretty much 90% of the songs easily you could turn on and you're going to, you might not know it's Nirvana or know the name of the song, Mm -hmm. but you know, you know what it is. You know, the song you've heard it before. Um, I mean, it's, it's a great album overall. I'm, I'm going to go with one beer. Solid. Tucker. Yeah. You know what Nirvana did for music as a whole back in the, in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, I, I, I think this is one of the best albums ever recorded. It's, it really was the top of the ladder for for Nirvana. There are a couple of songs that I personally don't like, and I'm not as big of a fan of as a, as most of the others. But the album is incredibly strong. It's incredibly uh, recognizable, even with "Smells Like Teen Spirit," which I, I do like that song, but it's not one of my favorites on the album. Um, man, this album is is near perfection. It kicked it helped kickstart an entire entirely new genre of music and change the way that the music industry looks at things. I can't give it zero beers because that's reserved for appetite for destruction. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, but this is a 0.5 beer album for me. Okay. Uh, yeah, this, this is an iconic album. Uh, it, it, it not only, it not only spawned a whole new, genre and, and 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 era of music that that i think we're kind of out of now unfortunately but it also killed glam rock it killed 80s 80s hair metal, hair metal you know and that's impressive and i mean while smells like teen spirit is definitely the highlight of the album everything else is good minus that last song um like you said man you can turn on any one of these songs and go oh i love this song like no matter what it is, what day is going on. Like, even if you're not really in the mood, it will get you into that mood. That's Kurt Cobain's writing music and, and just his, his um, charisma that literally still 20 years later, 25 years later comes through on the album that you're just drawn into. Almost, to listen to almost 30 years later at this point. That's true. I guess it actually fuck, it fuck is you for saying that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 2022. And it came out in 91. Right. Well, he died in 94, so... Yeah, so, yeah, it was released September 24th of 91, so, yeah, 30... Jesus Christ. Whew. Um, that being said, yeah, it's not it's not the perfect album. It, it, you know, it, it, some of the pacing's weird, you know, some of the placement... I mean, the placement's really good, but, yeah, the, the B-side is just not as strong as the A-side. And there's not many... I mean, that's what the B-side is. It's not the stronger songs. But that all being said, I'm going to give it one beer, and... Um, what did you give it? I gave it one beer. I've got I got two point one with with oh so Trey and Chris Texas. Chris gave this album four point five beers because Chris he's horrible because he's a terrible person, and Trey gave it three and a half. It's two point one. Yeah, it, it comes out to two point one, and that's fucking criminal. Yeah, I, I, it's, I mean they can, they can. I, I'd love to hear their reasoning behind it. But I really do. Yeah, I I, I hate that. I'm sorry I mean, that I, I had to push this. I. I yeah. get that Chris hates Nirvana, and I get I I fully get that. I do. I'd I love to hear Trey's reasoning. 
Uh, oh, Chris is old. The, you know, he's, just, he's an old man. It makes his ears hurt. <laughs> Chris, Chris doesn't like Nirvana. Trey doesn't like Rage Against the Machine. They're both fucking wrong. But what can you say? I mean, so I, I'll, I'll go back to what you said though just now, Stephen, about like the B side not being as strong. I don't know if I would even say it's not as strong. It's just different. Different. Yeah. Like it's fair. you think about so many like there's albums that that bands put out now that only have six or seven songs on them, mm-hmm. and. I think at the and time, have 40 fucking writers. Yeah. And it's yeah. like at the time when this stuff was getting put out, you had to put up as much as you could do to put on a cassette. Yeah. So it's like they had to do this. I almost think that if, if Nirvana was a band today, this would have been two different albums. It would have been like a part one and a part two, and it would have been two completely separate albums. And if you know this album, way, this album wouldn't sell today. Not, not, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying today. Like I'm saying if they, if, at the time it released, that they had our technology that we have today, kind of thing. Yeah, like that's what you're saying. this would have released. This would have released as two completely separate albums, part one, part two, maybe you know a thing like that, and it would have been complete. It would have been viewed completely different because people would have known that part two was harder, and they would have gone into it, and it would have been completely different. Yeah, but so I just look at it as they're different areas and different sound types, but. I wonder. I wonder how much Nirvana, how much different Nirvana would have been if they'd have been in this era. Like if they would have come out like now. Or let me rephrase that: if they had our technology, if they had like SoundCloud. Yeah. You know, because that's how. What's his What's his face with the face <clears throat> tattoos? He sings that sort of uh, Post Malone. Post Malone. Post Malone. Like that's yeah. how he got famous, right? On on SoundCloud. Same thing with yeah. uh, uh, Biebs, Justin Bieber. I mean, he got famous on on YouTube first. So. Really, I thought he, I thought he like sucked Puff Daddy's dick or something. Well, probably did that too, but I mean, you know, no judgment. But I and just wondered, I wonder if they would have stayed more underground for longer if they, if they were able to post stuff like that, where they, because like you said, you had to put out as much music like on long CDs or long albums to get your music out there. There was no other way to get it out there. Now, I can mm-hmm. just, I mean, I post this on SoundCloud and hopefully people listen to it, and if you get a following. Well, you know, I'll ask a question too, though. It's like, I wonder how messed up some of their songs may have been in today's environment. Because, you know, the biggest thing about a musician in the 90s, especially, was you had to make stuff that was able to be played on the radio. Yeah. So you couldn't swear. You couldn't have like straight up killing, like, unless you were, you know, NWA. Oh, really? I, I thought, I thought, uh, I thought one of the requirements of being a, a musician in the 90s was you had to have a cocaine habit. I mean, that is, but heroin. I'm saying like heroin. Y- yeah, it's either either or some either or. some type of illicit drug, okay? <laughs> but no, it was like in order to to be success, a successful musician, you had to have stuff that could be played on the radio. There was one nowadays, song. There was one song in here that had one curse word. Really? Yeah, there, and I think he said shit one time. Is it Lounge Act? Because that's the only one on uh, Spotify that has a little e next to it. Probably, probably. <laughs> but probably. yeah, no, it's. It's, Which is crazy to there. think about. That's what it's crazy to think about considering music today, how yeah. filled with curse words. That I mean, as hard Wop. metal, every yeah, as hard metal as all this was, or yeah. pop or punk or whatever, no cursing. Yeah, but you had to do that back then to be on the radio. Yeah, where nowadays you don't have to do that because you got like Sirius XM, where it's like they don't care; they yeah. play whatever they want. Or uh, Pandora. Yeah, I listen to Pandora. Pandora. I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta run. Yeah, I'll see y'all. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Um, Well, I guess we'll just kind of wrap this up then, Daniel. Uh, I don't know what we're doing next. Oh, I think we do know what we're doing next week, but I'm not really sure 
I'm not sure if that's going to happen yet, so we'll see. Um, before then, though, if you want to find us uh, on the internet, you can find us on theguysreview.simplecast.com. You can email me anything, and I will read it poorly at theguysreviewpod at gmail.com. Instagram at the guys review pod, Twitter at the underscore guys review. And remember to like the tweet at the top of the page. We'll put you in the, the, the DM group, facebook.com slash the guys review pod. Please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcast from. Daniel, sir, thank you again for popping in last minute again. Sorry about that. Anytime. You got anything you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, I mean, you know, Chris, Trey, and Tucker at this point are all bitches. That's true, actually. All righty. Well, on behalf of Daniel, Chris, Trey, and Tucker, this has possibly, if I can find, there it is, has been another episode of The Guys Review. That is not the right song. (laughs) It should be, though. There we go. All right. Thanks again, Daniel. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.